Hello, and welcome to the TV Movie Rewind Podcast with Matt and Todd. Hi, everyone. Uh, this week, we are going way back. Well, I mean, we've actually done older movies. This movie isn't even as old as the um, movie we did last week, uh, Towering Inferno. Oh, for sure. Like we're, we're, we are older than this movie. This, um, this is something I hadn't seen in a good 30 years. Oh, 30 man. Plus. At least. I, I mean... Yeah, I don't think I've seen this probably in longer. Like I, I, I'm sure I haven't seen this since the '80s at least. Um, well, yeah, you know, you're right. Yeah, sure, thirty plus. I mean, I figure the last I saw this is what '86 or '87, which is funny because for as often as it was on HBO when we saw it, and we saw it like tons of times back then, pretty much after that point, never saw it again. No, this uh, should mention, even though it'll be in the, the, the title of the episode, but we are talking about Michael Crichton's, uh, he directed this Looker. It's a early 80s uh, thriller, you know, sci-fi thriller, much like uh, Runaway, which yeah. was another movie we saw dozens of times in the 80s when it was on HBO, but I hadn't seen really since then, and a lot of the concepts of this movie were way beyond me, and I was usually watching this movie waiting for the final gunfight shootout, which is a... For sure. Well, not an exciting shootout, but it is a really nice concept to how they do it. It's unique. Yeah, exactly. Um, the way they play it off um, is nonetheless unique. It's it's strange. Um, and that's, that's some of the best parts about this movie, is it's so very strange. Um, it is quite a bit flawed. Um, I think, I mean, Runaway is a good comparison to this movie and certainly a recommendation um, if you haven't seen it yet. I think Runaway is a better movie in, in most cases. Um, but this one is interesting enough. Like, um, I, I've, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and call it a recommendation now. But yeah, let's, let's, let's go into it. Well, this is a paranoid conspiracy thriller that involves, you know, corporations more than it does the government, which was right. like, you know, usually the way it went at the time, but you know, it's about how these TV executives and advertisers are, you know, unscrupulous people who are willing to go to any means to sell you a product and make their money. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 crazy, right? Like it posits that large corporations, especially those selling products, will somehow use technology to try to figure out all of your purchasing decisions and all of your like proclivities and and try to figure out like everything you want to know and like in order to like sell it to you yes weird it's, right well again this Crazy. is very uh, uh, very prescient i mean this is what good sci-fi does it comes up with the concept that yeah, he nailed comes about and and nailed as, it. aside from the looker gun which is yeah. which, which, as far as I know, doesn't exist. Uh, aside from that, there's nothing in this movie they don't can't do right now. No, no, it's 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 really cool from that from from that aspect. Yeah, to to look that far back. Um, I, I mean, and and as you were saying, like when we were watching it, like technically, some you know a lot of this stuff could be could have been done earlier, but we've damn near perfected it now. Um, I mean, you had, if you're a Star Wars fan, you already have seen, like, you know, Grand Moff Tarkin return. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's just, I just, yeah, I, I had forgotten 
you know, we had mentioned when we were talking about it, like, you know, so, so much started coming uh, flooding back, despite the fact I don't think I've seen this since I might have been under 10. Um, but what, it's still like that sort of wonder to it. Like, I'm glad I hadn't seen it in a while. Um, uh, because yeah, that sort of wonder to it. Like it's still, it's still kind of stuck like that, that sort of fun to it and, and seeing where it was going. Um, I think Michael Crichton's a very interesting director in this. I, I like, I like the way it's shot. Um, I like the acting. Um, it's a little, uh, it could be a little on the slow side, but nonetheless paced well enough. Yeah, no, like like we said, this is much more of a thriller. It's yeah. not an action movie. It's it's paranoid right. conspiracy. Um, almost a little bit of a stock and slash at the beginning. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's really about you know trying to uncover a conspiracy. Uh, so, like we said, it's it stars Michael Crichton. I'm sorry, it was directed by Michael yeah. Crichton. It stars Albert Finney. Susan Day and hey, James Coburn. Uh, over a hundred episodes in, and we're finally getting to a James Coburn movie. Right, uh, <laughs> just my favorite actor. I don't know why we've been holding off, but right, this is the first one. Yeah. Oh wow, yeah, that's wow. That's hey, we only got to Steve McQueen last week. <laughs> Fair enough. That's right. Really? Wait, no, that's not right. Was it? Uh, oh no, we didn't do the great. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> no, the, the the only one of the seven we had done previously wow. was Bronson, which we did a, a, a little while back with the Dirty Dozen. But really, the the reason for that, and we're getting on a tirade here, but I'm a huge fan of Bronson, McQueen, and Coburn, and you don't have anything against them. No, but it's there's not a lot of crossover between. We we try to do mostly movies that are we're both big fans of. Right, right. Like, uh, exactly. Yeah, like, you you skewed closer to those guys because of such a um, connection you have to The Magnificent Seven, which is a movie I like a great deal, actually. It's it's certainly one of my favorite westerns in a very short list of uh, westerns. Um, But no, like, I hadn't connected as closely to these actors um, because, you know, most of them weren't making movies, uh, except with the exception of Bronson, who, for whatever reason, I guess I just didn't pay attention to. should have, but uh, for whatever reason, just didn't, I guess. And, um, you know, Coburn, he was just in smaller stuff by that point. So, you know, unless I was watching a Western or, or a much older movie, which I wasn't likely to be watching that when I was that young. Yeah, I just kind of missed the boat on him. Well, yeah, because, you know, Br- Brenner and McQueen had passed away in the right. 80s and, and Coburn had severe rheumatoid arthritis, which prevented him from doing much acting. And yeah, Bronson was really the only one one active so anyways back to the movie we should be talking about looker uh albert finney plays a plastic surgeon who works on you know some of the top models in the advertising industry and that's it's one of the themes in this movie is the you know almost unattainable perfection that people are looking for in their models the movie starts with this gorgeous, you know, woman coming in and saying about all her flaws that she needs him to correct. And he's, of course, like, what are you talking about? These are all minor, minor little things. Right. Because she's literally she's... talking about things being off, like, by less than a millimeter. <laughs> yes. And, and and she points out, well, that's not perfect enough. They're looking for 
perfect in these in these commercials and as the movie goes on we find out that you know three of his patients have all been murdered and somebody is trying to frame him for these murders and it all ties into this company that is creating digitally perfect models and putting them on screen in their place. They're basically hiring these models, telling them to get the plastic surgery that all their studies prove, you know, there's this whole sequence where he visits the advertising agency and they're showing how like, oh, this is where you're looking during the commercial, but we don't want you looking there. We want you looking here at the product. And you were thinking like, if you want us to look at the product, right. don't put a gorgeous woman in a bikini on the screen because, of course, that's where the men are going to be looking. If you want us right. to look at the product, don't have her on screen next to it. But right. Anyways, this, but, this well, whole... well, plus also their takeaway from that after sort of admonishing them for not even looking at the product, their takeaway from that is we'll make like the perfect ones for you to look at. Yeah. Right. Which, which, to criticize for one of the many movies, many criticisms. Okay, we've posited that they can scan, and there's a really cool scene with with um, Susan Day uh, being like full body scanned um, in order to be ultimately deep faked into stuff. Fine, but having these women go through all of this plastic surgery, like, okay, you're scanning them into a thing that you can just digitally add them into. Like, you can't don't you have like After Effects? <laughs> You know, like, can't you just do the cleanup there? Yeah. Well, again, part of the thing is that by scanning these women digitally is these women now is going to get lifetime contracts of $200,000 a year for not having to do anything once they're scanned in. Exactly. Which they're just they're buying their image and likeness, essentially. Which is why after, you know, you figure out, oh, well, that must be why they're killing these women, because once they have them scanned in, they don't need the actual woman anymore. Kill her off. We don't have to pay 200 grand to anybody. Right. So Susan Day is his latest patient, and he becomes concerned she's going to be his the, the killer's next target. And again, he hasn't put it together that there's some weird conspiracy going on. He's just like somebody's after these women. Right. And he kind of leads like, okay, so not only were all these women my patients, they were all um, modeling for this company. And the people running this company are James Coburn in a villain role. James Coburn is one of those great actors, much like um, Gene Hackman and... and, um, um, somebody I will edit in one later to make me sound like I could come up with another person, but but one of those who's just fantastic as, as both villain and hero. Sure. And then there's uh, Jennifer, played by um, Lee Taylor Young, who is is part of the company too. And what's interesting about Lee Taylor Young's character is she is clearly an attractive woman. And I kept waiting for the the movie to get to the point where 
you know, because she's she's older than the models. I kept waiting for the movie to get to the point where she was like angry at these young models for yes. still having their beauty. Right. I kept thinking like, oh, she's an ex model and she doesn't get jobs anymore, and that's why she's in on this whole you know scan them and kill them conspiracy. It never went there. Yeah. I, I I just kept waiting for that to happen. I I, I it's yeah, it's one of those things. Um... It's it's one of those things that I, I also liked uh, about the movie, uh, you know, in, in comparison to say, um, uh, or I should say, in conjunction with like a, a movie like um, Runaway, is that it, Michael Crichton seems to be with it enough to like not re- to, to to either ignore those conventions entirely, or yeah, just kind of drop them away. Like they, they they don't they're not as tropey. You know, it's one of the things I appreciate about these uh, movies in particular is they're not nearly as tropey when they totally can be or when you might expect them to be uh, by now. So, yeah. So the main science fiction premise of this movie is like the scanning technology and how that, you know, they can use these models to do once they have them in, they can, like you said, deep fake them into any type of scenes and sequences and 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 film the commercials that way the other science fiction concept is the looker gun mm-hmm. and looker stands for i've already forgotten light yeah optic, it, it optical, didn't need to <laughs> it didn't need to kinetic energy but sure yeah tip not it is a it's so forced forced acronym <laughs> yeah a pointlessly forced thing. They could have just called it like the LG 2000 or something, and it would have been just as well. Yeah. Or the LKR. Right. Yeah. It's a totally forced. Uh, yeah. It's it's pretty funny. So this gun, which looks really cool, and I remember being a kid and seeing that gun and being like, oh, wow, they're going to have this laser gun mm-hmm. in the movie. And I mean, technically, it is kind of a laser gun. It's light emitting, but- yeah. What it does is it shoots this flash, and it's almost it, it's well, it's kind of exactly like the uh, the it's little light sort thing of from. like the Men in Black like flashy, yes. yeah. What I forget what they even call it now. It it, it it kind of hypnotizes you, and you lose time, and also somehow makes the person who fired the gun at you invisible to you for a moment, yeah. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure how that part of it works, but like, I guess they needed to make it a bit more intimidating than just you're blinded, which honestly would be effective enough. Like, hit someone in the face with a good enough flashlight, and that's going to do the job. (laughs) But it essentially, like, you know, all of a sudden your attacker becomes invisible to you, which is, I wouldn't be surprised if they had a better explanation in the movie, but they cut it for time. Well, I guess... one of the things I'm sorry, one of the things I do want to point out, and I have no idea where, as I guess the version that we've seen, uh, the Blu-ray version, adds back footage that was not in the version we might have seen on HBO or certainly in the theaters. Entirely possible. But like we said, I mean, I, I when this movie used to be on, I barely paid attention, mostly just waiting for the the again, the final sequence featuring the the shootout. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a pretty straightforward plot. Um, like you kind of can already see where where it's going. Like it, that's yeah, it's it's the movie more or less relies just on the um, just on you know what is happening in front of your face and the, just the concept of the technology itself. Yes, yeah, but like there's there's a couple of sequences in the movie where 
it seems like people are being attacked by an invisible person. Right. But it's not actually what's happening. It's just kind of, you know, I guess it's just trying to show their perception as much as it possibly can. It's It feels like tacked in, but it's kind of cool. So it's like, okay. You know, at this point, you're watching the movie and you're just kind of either you're enjoying it enough to like still be going with it. So that part doesn't really phase you when it's just kind of like, OK, that's interesting. Or, yeah, you know, it's just stupid. Um, yeah. I, I'm with the former, you know, where it's just like, OK, fine. You know, <laughs> but it doesn't need to be there any more than the acronym for it needed to be there. No, no. Like a guy just framing people would have been good enough, you know. It's, it's like the actually... scene with that robot that I'm sorry about. It's like that scene with the janitor robot. You know, which didn't need to be there. <laughs> no, but it almost makes this movie seem like it's leading it like a prequel to Runaway. Exactly. You know, obviously that concept of these little household robots helping around with medial chores and looking like, for like I said, a, a, a mobile, a fax machine that moves around as opposed to you know uh, an, an android, which is you know usually how robots are represented in movies i would say yeah certainly up to this point with the exception of like star wars which had like a mixture of both but yeah and again i think that whole point was to show how advanced technology how how advanced the technology of this company had become right and, and also i mean as much as anything it's just kind of a cool scene for a movie right because at one point it does look like this robot is about to attack right. Susan Day. Right. And that's, that, again, that's like, that's where the movie pulls you back in. Or at least for me, like, if, if it's starting to lose me, it does little weird things like that that just pull me back in. Yes. Or it's just kind of like, ah, oh, that's fun. A lot of the movie, too, is at first, you know, Albert Finney isn't aware that they're going to frame him for these murders. But almost much like, you know, our good friend Dr. Chalice from Halloween 3, just is like, well, here's an attractive female involved in this situation, so I'm going to investigate. Right. Just because. So, a lot of the movie, again, is just, um, you know, we learn, it's well done because we learn as the as the characters learn right. what's going on, as opposed to a lot of times where like, oh, we already know what's going on and we're just waiting for, you know, the characters to catch up. Right. Like, I, mean, I think for, like from the beginning, you can put together from like the plot clues and stuff, more or less like, okay, obviously, you know, James Coburn's company at least is evil and the bad guys somehow, it's just a matter of where do they connect and why. Yeah. Yes. And and another like kind of thing that they kind of gloss over is they were also going to use this commercial technology because they, they've put oh, yeah, hypnotic, yeah. The, the hypnotic thing isn't just in the light gun. They're putting it in the commercials themselves. There's just a bunch of ideas thrown into this movie. Because <laughs> there's a scene where they're in the laboratory. Susan Day and Albert Finney are in the lab, stuck in the laboratory and a test commercial is on the screen and she's hypnotized. She's watching the commercial and is basically hypnotized into wanting the product. But there was also, and again, they kind of really gloss over this, that they were going to do it to get a person elected. Yeah. And with his campaign commercials, having the hypnotic influence to, you know, get people to go, go vote for this guy. But that is just entirely glossed over. Yes. 
Uh, it would actually give the plot a little bit more motivation. But you know what? Again, greed is enough of a motivation. There's a whole there's a whole sequence where James Coburn is basically you know promoting the product to this um, dinner function that they're hosting and talking about how much time people spend in front of the television and how much time in front of that television is uh, taken up by commercials and saying like, you know what, at any given time, you know, people are giving, you know, themselves a half hour a day minimum to watching commercials. What if we can maximize the impact of those commercials? There's going to be money there. I, you gotta you, you gotta figure like someone in an ad company, if not many, are like watching this movie as a manual, or at least at some point were, and practically took the speech like word for word as their like keynote that well, got like a standing ovation. Again, like good science fiction, it's not the technology that's evil, it's no, the it's not using it. Exactly. Yeah, it's not. You know, it's all in how it's used. So, oh, oh, sorry, real quick. Uh, by the way, Looker is light, ocular-oriented, kinetic, emotive responses, which are all definitely words that would spell out Looker. Yes. Yes. Hypno-gun also works. <laughs> like, what? I mean, put all those words together, and it does spell Looker, but what that would actually mean to me is God knows what. But, it, again, I think it's a lot like, uh, you know, Chud. It's a good title for the movie, and it's right. a double, you know, double meaning of, you know, the women are all lookers, and they also have this gun called Looker. Well, like, unlike Chud, I think the, you know, the, the, the acronym works. In Looker, the acronym is pointlessly forced. Like, it doesn't need to mean anything more than the word means, is I guess what I'm getting at. Or it right. didn't need to, anyway. Right, but remember, the real meaning of Chud wasn't cannibalistic humanoid underground dweller either. No, no. No, contamination, contamination hazard urban disposal, also very forced. Forced, but less so. Yeah. So as they're unraveling this conspiracy, you know, they come under fire by the, well, they come under attack by, you know, especially the, the, the henchman who runs around, doesn't have a line of dialogue. But as you pointed out, he's also one of the killers hunting uh, Henry Thomas in yes. Cloak and Dagger. Yes, and like we spoke, I, I can't remember if he ever spoke in that either. And there's a sequence when they're in the lab where he's, uh, Albert Finney is hit by the gun. And he's basically being thrown all over the lab by, again, like what we see as an invisible assailant. And It's a hell of a scene. Yes, it's a hell of a like it's it's one of those you got to see it to be believed. If this movie were more popular, it would probably be be memed by now because it's a pretty meme worthy scene. It's it's kind of great. As as Albert Finney spends a good I don't know two three several minutes beating himself up or throwing himself around the room. Right, it, it's not like in in uh, Fight Club where you know Edward Norton's actually punching himself. He's just being. You know, thrown about the room and and being punched in the face. And I love like a couple of the shots of him getting himself thrown around. Are like did they did, were you thinking Sam Raimi out of um, Evil Dead? Yes. Okay, not just me. All right, cool. Especially like the final punch where he goes flying yeah. back about twenty feet through yeah. a pane uh, glass, 
and is knocked into a set of computers. It's it's really like over the top. Like who is punching him, Superman? Yeah. <laughs> this movie is filled with so many ideas and messages. Like we we went past. Um, not that it was all that important, but a, another peculiar scene that you think is really supposed to mean something, and and I guess it does, but you think it's supposed to be deeper. And that's uh, before Susan Day goes on this like mission uh, with Albert Finney. She goes to meet her parents. Uh, which are like creepily almost um, like hip, you know, creepily hypnotized by their TV. And like, at, for, at least for me anyway, watching this, watching the movie again after so long, like I was starting to get the impression like, oh, well, I guess, you know what? I'm stupid because they later establish all the, um, the subliminal messages that, you know, because she acts exactly the same way later. I only just picked up on that. But I'm talking about the scene with her parents where it just doesn't right. actually go anywhere except just be like, oh, well, they don't pay attention because they're too interested in TV. But now right. they must have been looking at the subliminal messages. I only just picked up on that. But again, you could look at that either way as the, either like the subliminal message because they don't point that out that, you know, no, you don't know that yet. Point that yeah. out. But it could also just be simply them saying, like, look how captivated people right. find TV. Right. That was the message that I got. And I'm like, oh, that's really heavy handed. Uh, but like, well, because the, pro- the 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 problem I had, at least in the order the movie showed it, is that they show that like, like I get what you're saying, and it's not necessarily like I disagree with the message, but you're showing it so sinister and heavy-handed, like it just seems like a bit much. But if you put it in context of they were being mind controlled by um, subliminal messages from the TV that you don't find out until way later, now it makes sense. <laughs> well, and remember, he's able to. Um sneak into the lab with Susan Day because the guard is more interested in watching the baseball game on right. TV than right, he right, is to right. watching watching the monitors. So this all, you know, all ultimately cultivates in Albert uh, Susan Day being kidnapped by the bad guys and brought to the headquarters at the time there also going to be running this huge demonstration to, I guess, investors and probably advertisers to show, like, look at what we can do with commercials now. We don't need any live actors. It's They're all going to be, you know, computer generated because they've been scanned in and we can have them do anything at any time with anything. And so Albert Finney sneaks in. Well, let's talk about the car chase for a bit. Yes, because before he gets there, he's chased in the car by, you know, the killers who keep trying to blind him with the light gun. When this is one of the times where one, a real gun would be way more effective. Yes. And two, trying to pull up beside him because you have to be looking at the gun for it to be. Correct. Yep. That's trying to pull up beside him and hypnotize him with the gun. And it's like, no. You, you gotta, and, right. and, he, he, and he's driving. So the one thing you should do when driving is keep your eyes on the road. What does he refuse to do the whole time? <laughs> keep he, his he, eyes on the road so he could look at the gun, which is exactly what he doesn't want to do. <laughs> it's yes. so weird. Finally, they figure out, like, well, let's pull up ahead of him, and then I can lean out and shoot him through the windshield and blind him. And, you know, that seems to work. It's so strange. It's so strange. I keep you're watching that scene. Like, why do you keep looking at the gun? And this is, this is. I'm trying to. I believe it is. 
Yeah, that's right. Because he ultimately defeats the um, the assassin the first time around by putting on mirrored glasses. Brilliant that he immediately gets rid of. Yes, yes. They tell you that these glasses will protect you from the effects. And does he keep the glasses and continue to wear them until the end? No, no, no. Let me take these off now and put them over here. These don't these don't belong to me. I shouldn't be taking these. Yep. He does. the immediately drops the weapon as the killer falls. And okay, everything's cool now. (laughs) It doesn't occur to him to he might ever want to wear those glasses again or or any sort of mirrored glasses in general. I mean, it's 81. They must have been around. They would have looked weird, but do you really care whether or not you're looking weird to regular people when there's somebody out there trying to kill you and these will protect you from that? Exactly. Exactly. Moments after they've proven to basically save your life, he just drops them. So, you know, Susan Day is kidnapped and, and brought to the headquarters, like we said, during this whole, whole you know, presentation. And you're kind of like, well... The smart idea for them would be for them to kill her now, but no, they're just going to handcuff her to a main console and, you know, hold on to her while Albert Finney infiltrates the building. I mean, sci-fi evil villain's going to sci-fi evil villain. And he sneaks into basically the automated commercial set. This is great. This, this This whole scene is just great. So while they're trying to show the audience these commercials, he's walking around what to him seems like an empty set. But the people who are in the in the studio watching it on the TV are seeing, you know, the commercial as it's supposed to be with Albert Finney just poking his head up at different points. And everybody's laughing hysterically because it's all it's kind of like when you're a weather person doing the weather report you're not seeing the map behind you right you know you're just pointing to what you you know is off the screen and looking at that so if they superimpose anything behind them he's not going to know that and and the juxtap and going back and forth between you know finney who is obviously fearing for his life but everybody else thinking oh this is just a weird kind of quirky presentation it really is funny though when they go back to the audience and you see it from their perspective, it's like, I'd be laughing too. Cause yeah. I, I, it, that scene just works for me. It really does. It's really fun no. to watch. No wonder no, why you were waiting for the end of it. Like it, it truly is the best scene of the movie. Um, you know, Coburn, his henchmen and Jennifer, the other woman in all, all see this. And instead of stopping the presentation, they all get guns and go into the studio to go shoot Albert Finney. And you're Knowing like, full uh, well they're being recorded and watched by everyone. Yeah. And the henchman proving himself to be the worst henchman ever. Oh, for sure. He shoots and mortally wounds Jennifer by shooting through a screen, assuming that, you know, he's shooting at Albert Finney. And she manages to crawl her way back to like the control center, which, you know, gives Susan day the ability to try to get her, which is, yeah, that's another one. Like she just goes up there. Like that's very convenient for Susan day. As you said. <laughs> the, the way that's the way that's done is just weird. Like that's that. I mean, honestly, that's ultimately it's stuff like that, that yeah, of course this movie wasn't reviewed very well. Uh, and I'm not going to tell you that it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a critical like greatness or anything like that, but it's a hell of a lot of fun. No, it's, it's, it's a fun watch, but as the, 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 the assassin and James Coburn stalk Albert Finney, 
people are seeing this on the screens. And of yes. course they're laughing because I think most of them assume what they're seeing is. It's is a presentation. Yeah. It's like a quirky presentation. Everything was fake. Right. But the detective investigating all this, who is in on the conspiracy. Yes. Which is something that's dropped as quickly as you find out. Yes. Walks in and sees James Coburn on the things help on, on the screens, hunting Albert Finney with the gun and is like, what the hell is he doing? And he goes off and you think, all right, well now Finney's really screwed because, um, you know, he, he's really outnumbered, but again, just to prove like how inept these guys are, Coburn shoots his own assassin and the cop purposely shoot. You think that the cop is going to shoot Albert Finney, but he shoots Coburn saving Albert Finney. And then the movie ends and you're yep. like, did the cop suddenly grow a conscience or did right. he see this as his best way out? It was just yet another idea thrown in at the end with no real resolution. Well, my, my assumption is since the cop knew that Coburn knew he right. was the only one he could tie up all loose pay. ends and be done with it now. Yeah, He could tie up the loose ends, keep whatever money he's already been paid and be the hero by killing off Coburn. But exactly. again, that's yeah. something, you know, we've had, you have to figure that out for yourself. Yeah. You have to speculate yes. that. But I, I, I think, I think to me, or, or yeah, I think you have it right there. Like that's, that makes the most sense. Like for him, it's the easiest thing. Like, cause killing Finney, just really raises more questions for him than answers killing um killing Coburn, he could say well i was saving this guy's life and uh hopefully no one looks into it any deeper than that yeah because movie wise i think they're trying to set you up to think like oh uh, finney's dead because this is again a lot of these paranoid conspiracy thrillers of this time very often ended with the hero being killed off and the conspiracy going forward right right like to me, the vibe of this movie um, at the end, because we're basically at the, well, we're at the end now, right? The movie's over. But like so much was thrown into this movie that I kept feeling that somehow Susan Day was going to be evil or a robot or something by the end of it. Didn't happen. But did you ever get that sort of aspect? Of, like that's that's where it felt like it was leading to me. Like this, like somehow they hypnotized her yeah. into being evil. Yeah, because right. again. Uh, that 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 is something that's that's kind of all in there. It, it's funny because you say there's a lot thrown in here, and there is, but also there's not a whole lot to the movie either. No, like I said, it's a very straightforward plot. Uh, and but just when you think of just when you think you figured it out, you have. But there's also an extra wrinkle that's thrown in for some reason. It's like oh, and there's also a gun. Oh, and there's also this cop is in on it. Oh, and there's also like the political, like subliminal thing, you know. And there's also, I mean, I think the the biggest flaw in this movie is the questionable motivations. Like everybody does, like seems to do make the dumbest decision they could make. Oh, for sure, for sure. Like when, well, because given it's still not entirely clear why they go through the effort of killing off these models it's like i understand like 200 grand a year for life is an awful lot of money but for the type of money you are thinking of making to go through all of this effort like it's dropping a bucket isn't it 
Yeah, and also maybe don't offer them two hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I feel like what you're ultimately going to pay them is chump change and a hell of a lot cheaper than going through like assassins and you know, like lawyers are cheaper. Well, I, I guess again maybe because not. at the time of this movie, likeness rights. Well, likeness rights were a thing. But I don't think there was such a thing that, you know, they well, like you had said, to worry Crispin about. Glover for another, what, six or seven years. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it could have just been as simply as that, like, you know, we also want to kill them off before they realize, oh, wait a minute, maybe I should even get more money out of this. And maybe I can not only sign deals with them, well, I can go continue my career. You know, I'm getting 200 grand a month a year from them. I can also use that time I'm not working for them because they have the computer image. I can go work for, you know, Edsel Pepsi or Coke. Exactly. I can be a spokesmodel right. for them. This is also a way for them to say, well, you can't take everything we spent on you and bring it to another company. Oh, I see. So, yeah, okay. You know, yeah. it's the murder for IP. I could see right. Because. And we are, one of the things that really kicked off this whole, you know, questionable thing was, you know, not only was, you know, we, we mentioned Crispin Glover sued um, Back to the Future 2 for, you know, basically superimposing. Stealing his, his identity. Yeah. yeah. When Fred Astaire, who, again, we talked about last week in, in Towering Inferno, was in that Dirt Devil commercial. Yes. Dancing. That was one of the huge. Everybody was like, yep. "What are they doing?" Yep. This man's been dead for years, and yep. they're just—they're going to have him hawking the dirt double vacuum cleaner. Yeah. You know how dare they? Who allowed this? Who signed over the rights to allow his image to be? It was a huge, huge deal. Right. It's either so, really cool tech, super gross, but it can also be both. Yeah. So, you know that that could be part of the reason. To, to kill off the women too. But again, it's all questionable. Like when the second model is saying about how they're coming after me, they're hunting me. There's a big guy with the mustache. Has he been here? They're going to kill me. The, 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 the people behind the, the other girl's murder, they're coming after me. So I came to my plastic surgeon. Yes. <laughs> to reveal the conspiracy and ask for help. Yeah. Now, again, we do know the police were in on it, so... You but know, he didn't know that. And we didn't know that. We either. didn't know that either until later. Yeah. But it's like, all right, maybe, you know, you go... Even if you don't think you can trust the police, go to the FBI, go to... Why your plastic surgeon seems to be the last person you want to go to? It's 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 smart enough to be so much better than it is, but ultimately has like it's as if the same people who made like Treasure of the Four Crowns or Raiders of Atlantis, which we didn't cover, but look it up, uh, see it if you can. It's a it's a, it's a wild it's a wild wild thing. Like ran through it and and ran with the plot because it's just like all right, we need more ideas, we need more ideas, we need more ideas, and they're all or most of the ideas are kind of cool. It would probably worked, but they kind of don't get fleshed out. Um, the movie is, you know, to, to talk about like the actual problems, like, you know, it is a bit all over the place. Some objectively really silly things happen, but ultimately it is a lot of fun. Well, it is uh, seek fun it out movie. if you can find it. Um, 
I was able to grab it on Blu-ray. I forget how long ago said Blu-ray was made. Um, and I believe it's from a smaller company as well. Um, you know, is it is it worth it on Blu-ray? I, I don't know. Uh, to me, it is. I'm, I'm glad I have it. But if you can find it on streaming, it's definitely worth. Uh, it's definitely worth an evening. Um, you know, to sort of jump into the recommendations, I guess, I would say like this, uh, Runaway, and another movie that this really feels a whole hell of a lot like, or a movie that feels a whole hell of a lot like this, as you pointed out when we were watching it, is Halloween 3. And I think, honestly, it's Halloween 3 as to why I just assume Susan Day is going to somehow be evil at the end. Well, there's a lot of parallels between this movie and Halloween 3. Not For only sure, a, yeah. As a doctor, suddenly, like, I'm going to investigate this vast conspiracy, but there's computer screens giving off deadly things and and it's really all about you know like some evil corporation behind this conspiracy that you know while the looker conspiracy is unfortunately only or i should say well it's unfortunate to the the models they're murdering there and they are out for some sort of world domination they're not out to kill us all the way some of these conspiracies go Right, like it's it's got the brains of it's got the real brains and heart of of hard sci-fi, but ultimately the execution of like nineteen fifties sci-fi. And and I do get the which is kind of awesome. Which is you know what I mean. I, <laughs> That's what it I, makes it fun. I I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that audiences at the time didn't really understand this technology, so they probably thought, well, we really need to dumb this down. Because this was the first movie to use full um, computer model shading, right? This this beat out Tron by a few months, and um, then this would go on to you know basically like here's Michael Crichton doing all this sci-fi stuff. Well, about a decade later, all the stuff that he's kind of saying like here's the future would create the dinosaurs for the movie based on probably one of his biggest novels. Exactly. I think, I, I mean, if you look at, uh, say, you know, Jurassic Park, which is an outstanding movie. Um, I don't have to tell anyone that, you know, Jurassic Park is amazing. But the, the, the thing with Jurassic Park is outside of the tech, it's still a very good movie. Right. I mean, obviously, the, the, the premise can't happen. But nonetheless, it's, it's a very, very good movie. Like you get all of the great things out of it that you would want from a great action epic. Runaway. Um, yeah, you know, it's about technology run amok, but despite that, it's still a pretty effective, like, police thriller. This movie, once you've taken away, like, all of the tech ideas, it's, eh, <laughs> you know, um, it's still a hell of a lot of fun, but it's not that great of, like, a tech, it's not that great of, like, a spy thriller, you yes. know? Like, it doesn't really stand on any particular thing on its own, except for, like, in some being just a lot of fun. Well, it, there's a reason this movie has been pretty much forgotten right. for the past, you know, 40 years. Right, right. And if you're going to remember it, it's going to be with some amount of irony and just, you know, uh, again, just enjoying like the, the the tons of ideas. It's not, I don't want to bash it, but again, I'm not trying to tell you well, some critically amazing thing either. It's not going to change your right. life, but it is fascinating. I, I, recommend, I recommend seeing this movie as well, but unlike a lot of the movies and just about every movie we've done on this podcast that we, you know, we revisit these movies constantly. Mm -hmm. 
this isn't a movie I think I will revisit. I will see this movie again. For sure. But this isn't going to be like, oh, I got to watch this. I haven't seen this in a while. I it won't be it. Die Hard. Yeah, it's not going to be yeah. Die Hard. It's not going to be, you know, heavy rotation, like, you know, pulling out Star Wars or something or Wrath of Khan. No, no, no. But yeah. I would I would highly recommend the movie because you're not going to see anything like it again, I don't think, or at least told in this way. And there's so many, like, little quirks we didn't even get into, like the kind of fun commercials and stuff. Um that they do throw out. Uh, it's just, yeah, there's a lot of really fun ideas that you should watch and really get a handle on it. It's, it's fun. And, and if you like conspiracy thrillers and like happy endings, this is one of the few from that t- time period that kind of gives you a happy ending. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's an enjoyable watch again. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to say, Oh, find it on Blu-ray and add it to your collection. But if you can find it to watch it, uh, definitely check it out. Uh, we didn't do Whit Bissell Award winner awards yet because this movie is pretty tight on its cast. Mm-hmm. It really is an economy of characters, and it was hard to come up with a Whit Bissell Award. And I, I considered uh, Lee Taylor Young, but I'm going to give it to somebody who doesn't even appear in the movie. Yes, I'm going to give it to Sue Sad in the next. They are the ones who had two two of their songs in this movie. One, the song, the title theme, Looker, which as the movie began, well, as the, the, the title sequence began and the song started playing, it came back to me like a ton of bricks. All yes. of a sudden, the entire song hit me like, oh, my God, I remember this song. A very James Bond opening vibe to it. And they also have a song called High Wire, that is playing on the car radio later. And both of these songs are really awesome. They're bangers, man. Yeah. 80s yeah. rock songs that are much like um, what Patti Smythe and Pat Benatar would have um, would have sang. So if you're a fan of either of those, you, you go to YouTube and look up Looker by Sue Sad. Uh, Kim Carnes also covered it, but I prefer the, the Sue Sad um rendition uh, of both Looker and High Wire. If you're a fan of like 80s rock, you're going to enjoy both these songs. Uh, who, who's your pick? Well, you know, it's funny. The My pick is a guy uh, we didn't even talk about because we kind of skipped over the scene. Um, uh, so Susan Day at one point is going through a commercial shoot where they're having her trying to, she's on a beach and they're having her like fall over and over and over again. Um, it looks like in order to scan, you know, what she's doing and perhaps present it in a, in a movie later. But the director of that commercial is Terry Kaiser. It's a short part, but he plays it well of the exasperated kind of director who's, you know, torn between trying to be super nice to his talent, but also, you know, he's a jerk, you know, behind the scenes. And um, She's not doing a well enough job, at least as far as I'm concerned, she was doing fine and, and looking great. But of course, you know, for the, for the movie, she's going to be secretly terrible. But he's going to be like, no, no, you're great. You're fine. But then, you know, turn around and like do the, uh, you know, cut like she's done um, sort of Nick. Um, I'm t- picking Terry Kaiser. That's kind of cheating. I, I'm, I'm really, I guess, kind of picking him just so I can um, talk about some of the stuff that he's done and some of the stuff you might know him from. Um, you know, unfortunately, Friday the 13th part seven, at least to me is by far the worst of those films. Um, it's just not a great movie, but he plays Dr. Cruz. who's kind of fun. Um, 
probably going to know him most as Bernie Lomax in Weekend at Bernie's, like where he plays a corpse through, you know, most of one movie and all of the next. Um, just a, you know, a, 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 a ton of television appearances. Um, so yeah, again, really, I just wanted an excuse to um, talk about Terry Kaiser as much as anything else. He had a great recurring role in early episodes of Night Court. Yes. Where he played the reporter of a sleazy tabloid. Yep. And I, the, the scene that always sticks out in my mind is when Bull confronts him and he's all, of course, afraid of Bull. He's like, oh, I, I, I got to I gotta go. I, 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 I need to move my car. I parked in a handicapped spot. And Bull says, I can fix it so you're parked legally. Yes. Actually, I remember that scene. Oh, yes. I totally remember that scene. Um, I mean, he's been in a, he's been in just about everything. He's been in Golden Girls. He's been in Murder She Wrote, um, WKRP in Cincinnati, Hawaii Five O, All in the Family, uh, Emergency. Um, one of my favorite credits, uh, and, I, and again, I haven't seen these, but I mean, if you know, if you're of the time, you, you're aware of all these shows. Uh, of course, he was in Hill Street Blues of all the '80s shows to mention. But the best part about him being in Hill Street or the most interesting part, I guess, is his character name is apparently Vic Hitler. Let's see if I can find that episode because I got to know how uh, Vic Hitler fits into all of this. That would be interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he was in Walker, Texas Ranger. He even did the voice of H.G. Wells, of all people, in Lewis and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. So, you know, Terry Kaiser. All right, well, so you already gave your recommendations. Yep. So... I will go with mine, and I was actually going to say Halloween 3 as well, but that's all right. So um, as far as, you know, if you like, again, Michael Crichton directed paranoid conspiracy thrillers, another one from this time period was Coma, which was directed by Crichton and based on the novel by Robin Cook. We'll have to see if we can find that. About, um, you know, a hospital, a Boston hospital that was taking some of its healthy patients and, you know, making it look like they died during surgery, but really they were putting these people in, in uh, medically induced comas and selling off their uh, organs to the highest bidder. So that's a cool movie to check out. Uh, Another movie about corruption in, and conspiracies in the advertising world is a movie called The Agency, starring Lee Majors and Robert Mitchum. And it's about, you know, Lee Majors works for this big advertisement, advertising firm and people around him suddenly start dying. And he starts to uncover a conspiracy um, that is the agency maybe behind. And uh, that movie starts off with one of the most what the heck is going on here openings. Like, you'll start the movie and you'll be like, did I start the right movie? What is happening? No, really, what is happening here? What is going on? Um, Yeah, you've told me that before and you still thankfully have never told me what it was. I haven't haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but um, until you just brought it up, I I, I forgot that. We're going to make sure to check that out soon. So yeah, check out check out that movie as well. Um, like I said, I was going to say Halloween three as well, but but uh, you know, I second the Halloween three choice. You know, um, 
you got anything else to say specifically about Looker? Um, no, no. I think that's yeah. No, I think we're good. All right. Well, as far as you know, doing the Magnificent Seven degrees and connecting this movie to the Magnificent Seven, you know, obviously my favorite actor James Coburn is in the Magnificent Seven. And I last week it was the same thing where you know Robert Vaughn and Steve McQueen were in the Magnificent Seven, so I just said that. But then it occurred to me, like you went through the trouble of doing like this whole. Let me connect. You know why am I being lazy? <laughs> Fair enough. So I'm going to go with Albert Finney was in Murder at the Orient Express with Jacqueline Bissett. Jacqueline Bissett was in Bullet with Steve McQueen and Robert Vaughn. Oh, right on. Um, I'm going to pick my uh, Whit Bissell winner, Terry Kaiser, who was in, as I mentioned before, Friday the 13th, Part 7 with Kane Hodder, uh, who was in The Horror Show with Brian James, and, oh, I'll go with, um, what the heck, another favorite. Uh, Brian James was in Tango and Cash with Kurt Russell, who was a uh, who was in, um, uh, oh boy, uh, he was in what with Charles Bronson? I've completely forgotten that. Guns of Diablo. Guns of Diablo, yeah. All right, well, um, with that, anything else? No, no. Again, yeah. check out, check out Looker, check out, um, Look check out Halloween. Well, you know what? Again, set yourself up with like a triple feature uh, Halloween 3, Looker, and um, Runaway. And you'll be in the right mood for all three. Yeah. And and I I really think you're going to enjoy the movie. I do too. All right. Well, with that, we thank you as always for listening. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at movie Matt Sorois. One word. M-O-V-I-E-M-A-T-T-S-I-R-O-I-S. And you can also look us up on Facebook where we contribute to the movie asylum of the weird, bad, and wonderful. And with that, we thank you as always for listening and hope to have you back next time. Thank you, everyone. Stay gold, people.